Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy and that's Alice. Hi everyone. And that's Lola. So much more than what you see. We all live our lives differently. Kaleidoscope identity. And this is who I'm meant to be. I'm just labelled me. I'm just labelled me. Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Labelled Podcast. Uh, Today we have got Kerry who's come on to have a talk to us about her disability and uh, her identity as the toilet queen. (laughs) Kerry, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello ladies, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Kerry. Um, Most people might know me as obviously the toilet queen. Um, and by campaigning for change in places, I have a rare form of muscular dystrophy um, called FHL1 gene mutation. So just call me a superhero. I was going to say that rolls off the tongue nicely, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? That's catchy, that, isn't it? <laughs> for people out there who don't know much about muscular dystrophy and things like that, can you tell us a little bit about your sort of experience of disability, how it impacts you, the things you kind of find difficult? Yeah, I mean, I've gone from being able-bodied to being disabled. So I've kind of experienced both worlds. And I think that's probably when you have something stripped away from you, it can be quite mentally torturing. And I think, you know, that was half of you know, my downfall at the beginning is the struggle of knowing that I was going to lose the ability to move my arms, to walk, simple things like that. And I've been, I've grown up with muscular dystrophy because my mum has muscular dystrophy. So I watched her raise two children um, while never complaining. I think that's probably why I don't complain is because she never complained about any of the struggles that she had when she was losing the mobility to drive and walk and, you know, raising two children is never easy. So having that disability as well and running a house and it was, it was quite, I know it's quite inspiring to watch my mum and I think the strength that she had, and that's kind of what I've taken with me is the strength that she's had. So I don't generally complain about anything unless it's obviously the fact that I can't use toilet. <laughs> yeah, then you will complain. Now, yeah. um, but I don't see it as complaining. Can I, can I just give a bit of context to our listeners? So me and Kerry know each other from um, my work. So Kerry, she's part of the team of volunteers at the um, company where I work. Um, and is basically, I get her to write all sorts of content about toilets and many other access issues because I, because when I use a to- public toilet or, or toilet in general I am I can't I can't hold myself up on my two feet I have to hold on to something so somebody has to be with me I don't necessarily I don't have to get out on the floor and roll around on the floor to pull my everything back on and up you know up and down again so to me going to the toilet is quite 
I mean, it, it's quite easy for me because that's the way we've done it. But it was only to, when I met you, Kerry, I realised, oh, my God, of course there's people out there that can't stand on their own two feet and use the toilet so efficiently and quickly. And you you do have to lie on the floor. And when I was telling Alice about changing places' toilets and, you know, it's to, to give people a bit more dignity, um, uh, you know, so they didn't have to roll around on dirty public toilet floors Alice went oh my god because she did she had I don't think you'd realize I I I use accessible toilets uh because I had my guide dog with me and uh she we wouldn't both fit in a stall basically and I spend most of my time going oh no that's disgusting don't lick the horrible public toilet floor yeah so then the concept there are people having to you know be because of the inefficiency of a toilet sort of setup that they they don't have the opportunity to go oh no actually I'm not gonna let the dog lick the floor I've got to lie on the floor it's mm. it, it is it is that absolute lack of dignity it's heartbreaking to think that there are people out there you know carers and care providers that are you know they, they're being forced to lay their children their loved ones you know or their their boss on the floor just to change them because mm. there, there isn't an adequate and i've always said that a standard disabled toilet or as they call it in vertebrates, brackets accessible disabled uh toilet now is it's outdated mm. Mm. so outdated that it just needs to be taken take it away take it away, just build a change in places, be over and done with, it's then an accessible toilet and it's an inclusive toilet for everyone, mm. for any bracket, for any disability and it's just a better standard of toilet. It's, yeah. it's got more space because the standard size is 12 foot and that's a large space and when you go into a standard size one, you've got the toilet either shoved in the corner at the left-hand side or in the right-hand side. You've got a sink, a bin, a baby changing table. I mean, the amount of times I've been hit in the head by a baby mm. changing table. Me I've too, a, yeah. A sink in the stomach. You, you, my husband's lifting a bin over the top of my head. And it's like, really? And then all for him to turn around and go, babe, this really is not going to work. You're gonna have to hold it, mm -hmm. it yeah. and it's. I shouldn't have to feel that way. Nobody should have to feel that way. Nobody should have to feel like they've got to hold it or not have fluids when they go out, or just say, "Okay, I can go meet my friends, but I can only be two hours because in two hours' time, I'm gonna need to go to the toilet and I can't go anywhere." Mm. I mean, that is a thing that I have to do regularly, sort of monitor my intake of fluids. I mean, and I don't have as the, the the same barriers as you did for, for using a toilet but there are times where I especially if I'm going on a flight for instance I will monitor my intake I mean that's a whole other subject altogether isn't it really mm. toilets on a plane um but even just general if I'm going somewhere new and I don't know what the situation for the toilet is like I won't drink anything until I know okay there's got a toilet or okay yeah I can get to that toilet it's fine um there have been places where I've had my backside shoved on a the toilet has been so tight that they've built like this funny wall system around the toilet and I've had my 
platform on like a a, a ledge, which is very yeah. long. You sit and you think, who who went? Oh yeah, let's stick a wall in there. Um, and you just and where they place that grab rails, you're like Spider Man trying to get across the wall to use the toilet. I mean, it's got to be quite funny sometimes because otherwise, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Um, <laughs> there's been many times when I've gone to a to- when I've gone to an accessible toilet, yeah, and we've I've kind of wheeled in, and then my husband's come in behind me, and he's like, "Babe, I can't shut the door." And I was like, "Well, nobody needs to see my bed, but do they?" So, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. I can remember I can remember going on a school trip to a museum when I was about eleven ish. And them saying, does anybody need the toilet? Because we all used to have to go on mass because it was just ridiculous. Um, and I'd sort of said I could do with with going. And they opened the uh, disabled toilet, and there was a curtain in front of the door. And I was like, what's a curtain? Why is the curtain there? It only dawned on me that the reason why there was a curtain you couldn't get me, my carer, and my chair in the toilet without having the toilet door open. Oh, Jesus. So the curtain went across while I was in the toilet and I could hear my friends stood outside going, yeah. there was a queue forming, would you like to get out? Um, and yeah. you think, I mean, and then that, when I, that is like always one of my go-to stories when I'm talking about toilets because I just think this curtain, this monkey curtain, sort of oh. dangling in the doorway. I mean, you just know that somebody had gone, oh, crap, we've made this far too small. <laughs> Yeah, I know what we'll do. Have a curtain. Oh, I know. Quite spark idea. We'll grab a curtain. That'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. So, for people out there who don't know what a changing places toilet is, Kerry, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the concept? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a larger space, so it's more space. So, like I said, it's it's twelve foot. Um, you can get some of them that are ten foot, but they prefer them to be twelve foot. So you have a toilet central to the wall because let's face it, nobody transfers from the same side. So you've got you know equal amounts of space either side of the toilet to make it easier for transfer if that's what you do. You've got an adult size um, height adjustable changing bed. So some toilets have them fixed to the wall and others have the movable bed so you can pull it out so you can have someone either side and just put the brakes on that way. If you go to an all fangled, dangled one, you will even find a shower. Uh, if you go to Wimbledon, you will find a Cosimat toilet as well. Mm. I was telling Alice about this in, a, in an earlier episode of of the podcast. And, she, and I said, if anybody tries to take my toilet away from me, I would bite them and then cry. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Um, but no, they are. What a revelation. Yes, I mean, they're brilliant toilets, aren't they? Oh. I mean, mine comes with a remote control. It's great. I can sit on the toilet, I can do what I need to do, and then I can just do everything myself. Yeah. It's great. The best toilet in the world. It is one thing that has given me so much more independence that I never yeah. even thought possible. It's quite amazing, really. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people who don't have disabilities just I mean you know the nature of my disability going to the toilet generally there's I I don't have the barriers that you guys have I there are issues from time to time but it's just something that people people don't think about and and don't realize actually how much 
it's it's like Lucy says, it's that independence, you know, to be an adult and be able to toilet yourself just because you, you know, somebody's bothered to think more openly and provide you with what you need. It, it's it's really straightforward thing and actually is a real and yet it's a real revolution because everybody as an adult should be able to, you know, it's we spend so much time and effort trying to teach our children to do it to then you know for an adult to find himself in the position of not being able to do it and as you guys talked about the huge limitations that that puts on your kind of social life or your working life and your ability just to go out the house mm-hmm. I think it's something that lots of people don't think about at all no it's, it's something that you wouldn't expect I don't expect everyone to understand because not everybody has a friend that has a disability not everybody has a family member that's disabled. So it's, I'm not expecting everyone to understand, but when, you know, some of my friends don't even, you know, until I started campaigning for changing places, I mean, they didn't even realize that I was going out with them. And, you know, if I was out for five, six hours, they were constantly saying to me, you know, are you okay? Do you want some water? And I'd say, no, I'm okay. And it wasn't till I actually started telling my story to the world that they came back to me and said, we didn't realize that you were only having two or three sips of water. Mm. It was because you couldn't go to the toilet. It just didn't dawn on them that that was what I was doing. You know, it's not having those toilets, but I mean, these toilets are just, they're an up-to-date version of of a standard disabled toilet. You know, with, with a hoist, you know, you've got a ceiling hoist, you've got height adjustable sinks, like I said, you've got an adult size changing bed. So all of these are in place for whoever needs them. So if I need, mm. if I go out with my PAs, they can't wait there like my husband does. So what they would need to hoist me to take me to the toilet. Mm. My husband, on the other hand, he wait there. So he stands me, he sits me down. That's great. Mm. So I've now got the two options of being able to not just go out with my husband, but if I want to go out on a on a you know a girly afternoon, obviously not right now, but <laughs> when we can go back out to the big wide world, I've got that opportunity to go out with my PAs instead of staying at home with my PAs. Mm. I'll just say, right, do you know what? Let's go out on a whim. I know I can go to the toilet. Fabulous. Well, and it's just you know if people have the the ability, if they have the tools and the sort of accessible points in place to be able to do that you know you hear a lot of uh disabled people talking about how they don't see people like them on tv they don't see people like them out in the world well that's because there's a bunch of people who aren't going out because they can't access toilets when they're out so you know if those if if that is your biggest barrier you know there are and I know it's not everywhere, but there are a lot of places, particularly big public places like shopping centres and stuff like that, have worked to try and become more accessible. But the idea that actually just making these changes to a more accessible toilet could really open the place up to a load more people and yeah. just make life easier for people. Yeah, no, it would. Yeah, absolutely. Because we we are still human beings. You know, when you're a girl and you're a girly girl, you like to go shopping. Who doesn't love to go browsing through the shop? I love to go browsing through the shops, but I like to take my time doing that. But mm. having a toilet mm. in it 
to go and meet your friends or to go shopping or even to go food shopping. You know, when there's always that time when you go food shopping and you're hungry and you end up spending four hours <laughs> before you even get to the end of the supermarket. Yeah. When you're like, oh, I can just stop at the cafe. But if that's, if there's no accessible toilet for me to use, then I'm like, right, okay, quick in, let's go, let's do the list, let's get out. What would you like to see? When do you think that's it? I can stop my campaigning with changing places. You know, is there a goal in your head where you can go, okay, I can I can sit back and go, I helped that. And where are where is the changing places campaign now? How much further do you think you've got to go? There's still quite a way to go because there's still only what one thousand I think it's one 1,200 maybe, 1,108, something like that, Yeah. Uh, available at the moment that are registered. Um, the legislation's now changed when you have a new build. So if there's any new builds, um, the campaigning world for changing places moved heaven and earth. And, you know, we all did such an amazing job to yeah. get the legislation changed. Mm. So that any new builds now, they have to have a changing places toilet. So that's half our job there is done. So we're not now mm. having to rally around, you know, new places that are being built. It's just now, it's just now targeting the places that are now built and need them. So cinemas, you know, restaurants, pubs, all those types of places, they still need workplaces. You know, there's still people that need to work that are disabled that need these toilets. I think until there's one in every place that needs one that'll be when the campaign finishes yeah so i don't know how far off that is because the government did announce before um, at the beginning of the year that they were putting aside um 30 million for people to go to them and say we want to build a change in places so that was an you know amazing as well which is you know a great achievement for everyone and um, also hospitals, you know, hospitals need to have changing places because you would think that the one place mm -hmm. that would have one would be a hospital. You know, the place that you need to go to get treatment, to be able to go and see your specialist. But no, apparently it's not that case. Unfortunately, I've seen in my sort of day job that upsettingly uh, it is a lot of um places like hospitals gp surgeries and things like that where actually a lot of people face the the biggest access barriers is where you would expect people to be more aware of uh you know supporting people with cognitive differences and things like that but it's where people can and i don't there's I'm a huge fan of the NHS and I don't want, you know, I, I always feel as though I'm uh, trying to make excuses for the behaviour of the few bad eggs within the NHS and everybody's overworked and underpaid and all of those things. But you really think in 2020 that people should be a bit more able to sort of take a step back and go, well, what, 
what might this person need that's not immediately obvious to me yeah, yeah. I went for some kidney stone um, procedure a few years ago and when I got onto the ward before they took me down to the sound machine that they put me under, if it hadn't been for my mum being with me, I don't know what they would have done because they just were like, can you can you get onto the bed? I was like, well, I can't, I can't stand up. They were like, uh, well, um, uh, and my mum just went, I'll do it. But if my mum hadn't been there with me, You'd have, yeah. you'd have gone, well, are we going to do this then, sort of thing. And they were look, looking at me as if to say, well, can you give us any insight? So, it, you know, it it um, it always surprises me when I go into hospital and they're surprised by me. It's like, surprise! <laughs> it, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've, I, whenever I've gone in and you try and explain to someone, and when I went... I've, Last year, I went in because um, I had a little minor operation, but I had to go back in again. And I was sitting, you know, the doctor came over to me in A&E and he was like, right, okay, I need you to push yourself forward. I can't do that. I haven't got the strength. I've got muscular dystrophy. Right, okay, can you grab hold of the side rail and pull yourself up? I can't do that. I haven't got the muscle strength. And it just, it just it's like the lights weren't quite switching on. No. It's like on a dimmer switch. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, can give help? And he's like, "Oh, so you can't move yourself at all?" Hey, yeah. well, <laughs> give that man a washing machine. <laughs> I once, I once went to the what's it called? Op optometry A and E. I yeah, I A and E. I and uh, yeah, um, and I went into the A and E because I was experiencing unusual flashing lights. I always get flashing lights, but these ones were new. And I, I didn't really think anything of it. And I rung my high street optician, and they just sort of went, "We have to say any changes. We just we have to say go to the hospital because no. if we don't, you know." and your eye falls out then we get sued mm. so i went to the hospital and i can remember sitting in the triage bit of the ia and e and there is a nurse standing in front of me going follow my finger and going like this and i was like i can't see your finger and she was <laughs> like you can't see my finger and i was like no, no like this isn't like that's not unusual i was like i can never see your finger <laughs> i was like it's just i was like can i can i just talk to a grown-up please because <laughs> i'm sure you're very good at your job but i am not your standard walking in off the no. street person with an eye problem i like how you nearly gave her a heart attack there you can't you can't see my, you can't see my finger yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my god Oh my God! Somebody call a doctor! Yeah, quick, <laughs> quick. Um, yeah, it's it. It always amazes me how they're just surprised by us. Like, hiya. <laughs> Kerry, do you get much sort of like backlash? from people when you when you go into somewhere new say say you go into like a new like chain of restaurants and you say you put your case forward for you know changing places is brilliant and this is what um it would really help the disabled community you get much backlash from people going we don't need that we, we don't need that um some are quite polite about it and go down the we can't afford it right now 
right. uh, or we haven't got the space. It's always we can't afford it or we haven't got the space. Mm -hmm. uh, I received one email, which I generally don't tell. I don't share when I've had a no. But this no that I got via an email from a well-known supermarket was does it, does it, does it rhyme with mesco no 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 it, yeah. no it doesn't it's got green writing oh okay uh, okay. Yeah. okay all right work that out for yourselves listeners yeah. <laughs> yes there's a booby prize for anyone that gets it. <laughs> um, so i received i sent an email put my case forward and said um you know these are life-changing facilities um, have you heard of the Purple Pound? Mm. Um, you know, this would make life a lot easier for families, not just disabled people. And the email that I got back, I was just, I had to read it three times to make sure I was reading it correctly because I'd never received an email quite like it from such a major company as this one. So along the lines of, um, she said that... Um, they would never build a change in places toilet unless they were forced to build a change in places. <sighs> I'm not shopping in that supermarket green writing again. Yeah. And I was like, I need to share this. Mm. I need to share it. I need to tag them. And I need to see if there was a response. And I responded to her and I said, I can't believe that you've just sent this back. You know, your wording is just, it's, disgusting mm. you know all i'm asking for is a simple yes and no and within half an hour of me sharing it to the world oh yeah the phone call um hi kerry it's such and such um i work for the ceo of mm -hmm. the green writing very, very um we would just like to apologize for the email that you received and i was like okay so it's taking you half an hour. It didn't take long. No. Because so many people were commenting and saying how disgusted they were. Yeah. But they were really seeing it because I tagged them in it because I thought, mm -hmm. you've got a right to respond. Yeah. Yep. And, I mean, six months down the line, they were still trying to sort out whether they were going to build one. And I was being fobbed off quite a lot. And in the end, it came back with that they were looking into it um, but they wanted to they wanted to trial them first to see whether they work. How do you trial a change in places if you've not got one? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe they would. And, and surely the evidence of the 1200 odd toilets that are being successfully used across the country already is evidence of them be, being working. But and surely as well. You know, there are, I know there are supermarkets out there, particularly the one that rhymes with Mesco, who... Mesco's have been very, very good. Yes, they have. They have. Whenever I see a post, I'm like, yes, yes, can you, have, can you get one near me, please? Um, so they have been very good and very supportive. I know that. So surely all the supermarkets must look to Mesco's. You can't not notice how many that Mesco's have actually built. Yeah. You know, we're we're very close to announcing the hundredth one. And that's wow. more than any actually other one that anyone has built. I mean, they're literally topping the list of, you know, and there's four supermarkets that have none. 
Wow. Do you get do you get much backlash from from people people who just don't understand disability? I mean, like yeah. being a being a disabled woman on social media is always a minefield. You know, you get yeah. shouted at for all sorts of stuff. Never mind being in a wheelchair. Do you ever get backlash from people who just don't understand? And you think, there by the grace of God, go I really? Yeah, I mean, I've done quite a lot of press, and they you know they put the video out with the press that i've done and when you sit back and look at some of the comments that people write i mean some of the private comments you know are quite nasty and hurtful i've just learned to kind of ignore it because they are trolls they've got nothing better to do they don't understand and if they're not willing to send me a message to say you know how does it work why do you need one please explain to me so i understand and i have the knowledge to move forward mm. i'm not you know I'm not gonna I mean there was one person that wrote on there that there would need to be that everyone would need to have personal insurance to use a change in places toilet and they would need to be trained and it's like my staff are already trained yeah so why would I need to have they've already got insurance when they come out with me they've already been trained before they even work with me my husband you know he Training, well, so exactly. He... If you if it's your husband, they're family, aren't they? And you would, yeah, it's family, yeah, yeah. So you you know they're not going to go. Can you just sign this before I do this? Because otherwise, I'm going to sue you. Because otherwise, it's going to make Christmas dinner very uh, awkward, isn't it? Um, well, and you know, and if if you're not having a paid carer or support worker or a knowledgeable family member out there to help you to access those toilets then i mean i think i'd be slightly more concerned ab about why you're asking random strangers in the supermarket to help you use yeah. the toilet <laughs> over <laughs> why whether you're concerned about personal insurance there's a running up and down the aisles going now does she look like she would help you? <laughs> or, or propositioning some man down the wine aisle bring that bottle with you we'll have a party I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, yeah. how I, I, I was. We were talking about this earlier in the week, weren't we, Alice? About people who are campaigning on certain issues. So I, I am on social media, but I wouldn't really necessarily call myself a campaigner for things because I, don't, I haven't really aligned aligned myself to like a particular cause. What I do do is I'm a very active and out there disabled person who I think being a positive role model on social media just talking about your life in general is one thing but being a campaigner and having the having that armor on constantly to go do you know what it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me I'm going to carry on I'm going to go. how on earth do you find the energy because this is what gets me the energy just to keep going I I don't I don't I don't think I would be, I think I would be crying in a corner if somebody said, you know, specifically like personal comments. I was on the BBC website at Christmas last year and the comments on that, they warned me, of course, of course they did. Um, and I said, I'm a disabled woman on the social media. I, you know, it's fine. But even reading it, sometimes you think you know nothing about me and yet you're spouting such vile yeah. words. How on earth? opinion don't they yeah and that's the thing is they have such a big opinion of something that they don't actually know anything about yeah and it's that isn't it that they 
they're not willing to understand they're not willing to learn but they are very very willing to tell us how they feel yeah and sometimes it is a case of taking a step back and saying do you know what you don't understand you're not willing to understand and i my favorite saying is you can't argue with stupid very mm. true you know what is the point in me i can argue back with the best of people mm. and i could take it to the next level if i wanted to and i wanted to argue back but i sometimes sit there and think really that's the egg that got through and that's the sperm that got through <laughs> <laughs> so much for natural there. selection <laughs> yeah you know if that's the way you want to go crack on i'm really not that bothered i'm gonna carry on sometimes it can be very hurtful um, and I do have to take a step back every now and then because it can build up and build up when it's so constant. Mm. It's daily that. And I did start to find myself stepping on tiptoes and worried about whether I was going to, you know, upset the disabled world or, you know, upset the non-disabled world. And then one day I just kind of woke up and gone, do you know what? It's my life. Yeah. It's my life. It's everybody else's life. Why should we be the ones that are left behind just because you don't want to understand? Mm. I think that's one of the things that I'm quite aware of being on social media and like is, is that I feel because my experience of disability is very limited to my experience of disability i really worry that i'm going to say something that is going to be offensive or is not understanding of uh, people's different needs people with different needs you know like I, the the changing places toilet idea something never crossed my mind because it's just not something i've ever found myself in a position to need to think about and now that I know about it, I'm going to be much more aware and sort of and and see it and and see when it's not there. But I think I worry about sticking my neck out sometimes and just having people go, particularly knowledgeable people, sort of bombard you and say you're wrong, you're wrong. And so I think it takes a lot of guts, even when you feel like you know you know you you know what you're campaigning about you're knowledgeable and you want to take a stand on something that you're really passionate about when you're already as you say feeling like you're sort of tiptoeing around and standing on eggshells and even those people who you thought were your allies are coming out against you sometimes it's you know it's hard to not just retreat and go you know is my mental health and my personal experience right here right now more important to me than the wider issue that I'm campaigning for yeah no absolutely and you do sometimes need to your mental health is always you're already battling having a disability so you're battling yourself every single day with a disability because of the barriers that you face and then when you go and add another barrier that you're campaigning for and the backlash that you get from that sometimes of oh they're so expensive Oh, look, you know, the disabled community are draining the funds again. Yeah. It becomes, it does become quite mentally draining. And yeah, sometimes you do have to take a step back and say, okay, you know, 24 hours out, a week out, and then I'll come back strong. 
I generally only need 24 hours where I phone my friends up and go, you'll never guess what someone wrote. And then my friends are like, you're doing amazing. Mm. It's great. Don't listen to them. They don't understand. And then that's it. I'm fine. Yeah. It's having that release, isn't it? That outlet to go, this is a, oh, look at this knobheads kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And it is that, it's like I say, I look at some people and say, really? That's the egg that got through. And, <laughs> and you want to come for me because of what exactly? And there is this thing I always think, this underlying thing of me wanting to say, when somebody's criticising me, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't always get things right. And I know that. And when I, when I, know that I've not got things right and I have seriously offended somebody and they've got a good point I will hold my hands up and say actually I didn't think of it like that there are just people out there who will argue for argue's sake and you think you could at any moment become like me like Kerry like Alice something could happen and you could lose everything at the click of a fingers and then you would have to rely on changing places on mobility aids on mobility animals it's not disability is the one minority group that anybody can fall into at any time yeah. and god forbid thereby the grace of god go i do you know what i mean that's what i always want to say but i think can't say that's too harsh because like, it's almost no, like I, mean, I don't know though because i mean it may make them sit down and think about it because there is that saying isn't there that i i mean i've heard a few times people say you know they're three accidents away or they're three you know something from you know being disabled themselves yeah. and sometimes it is that comment that makes people actually say oh okay yeah well you are you know you are right in what you're saying and nobody wants to go out and, you know, offend anybody. No. But at some stage, we're going to offend someone at some stage and they're going to offend us. It's just, it seems to be we're always willing to say, okay, we apologize, we've offended you. But, you know, nobody else seems to want to come forward and say to us when they've offended us, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry we said what we said. We now understand. They'll just go, ah, well, yeah, whatever. Yes. And move on to the next thing. Yeah. The next person in the line. Yeah. Uh, it is. I mean, I don't get very easily offended. I don't know about you, Kerry. Um, no, really. There, I, there is always like a line to me of, okay, that's offensive. All right. So, so just, just hush your noise now because that's offensive and I'm going to start and kick off. And I get like a rhino face. That I, get, I give them a look and it's like, this is your warning shot. One more and you've had it. Um, do you find that, Pete, do you find in your experiences that, that people are willing to go, I'm really sorry, I've, or, or do you find that some people sometimes people are scared of saying anything because you might get offended? I mean, because I do. Yeah. Either one way yeah. or the other. Yeah, they won't say anything. They'll retreat. They'll just go, uh, 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 and then change the subject. They'll never be a, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, it will just be, I mean, you know, there's, there's a time and a place to say things, and then there's a time not to say things. And it seems to be that we're already struggling with the general public um, in the non-disabled world to not talk to us. You know, they already struggle to strike up a conversation with us because they don't know how to speak to us mm. they don't see us as being red-blooded human beings they see the disability and that's all they see they see the wheelchair they see the you know the guide dog 
they see the white cane, they see, you know, the dark glasses, they see anything but the human that's sitting or standing in front of them. Yeah. And they do, they struggle and I don't understand how they struggle. And it's, it's like when you go out, I mean, how many people can turn around and say that they've left their house because they're just going shopping or they're just meeting their friends or they're going to the cinema or out to dinner on a date night. And somebody always turns around and goes, oh, it's so lovely to yeah. see you out. It's like, really? Yeah. That's the first word that came out of your mouth. You turned around and said, oh, where are you going? What are you up to? It's the uh, sympathetic head tilt and the overly big grin that gets me. Yeah. Like, hello, how are you? Well, the shouting. Yeah, all the shouting. Hi, mm. how are you? Yeah. I'd be better if you stopped shouting <laughs> at me. Please. Yes, what's that about? I know, it's... it's and, and when you tell... Do you often find as well that when you tell people these stories, they don't... Able-bodied, not non-disabled people, these stories, like of something somebody said to you in when you're in the pub or whatever, they don't believe you. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever get that? Because I get yeah, yeah. Quite a lot. And you think, why are you questioning me? I know what I saw. I know what I heard. Why don't you just believe me? Or like they won't they won't believe. Do you ever get it as well when you're doing the changing places campaign and then they don't people don't believe that it's that much of a trauma to go to the toilet for you do you ever yeah. come across yeah. that well, yeah so i tend to kind of get from that um a lot of people come back with well you know they're shutting public toilets down so it's it's you know it's hard for us as well okay yeah totally too too yeah i totally understand where you're coming from it's such a struggle for you to find a mcdonald's and go to the toilet mm. for you to go to anywhere that, that has a standard toilet it's really hard for you because they're shutting the public toilets down <laughs> yeah it's i you sort of one of i i would like those people to stop a second and go okay well imagine if they shut every single p toilet that was outside your house yeah yeah now imagine what it's like going out on a not even a day out imagine what it's like going out for a couple hours mm. yeah. knowing that you know because sometimes you know, you just, you suddenly get, oh, I did, I shouldn't have had that extra glass of water. And you know, you've only got 10 minutes before you're going to be sort of, oh, I really need to wee. And if your house is half an hour away from your city centre, what are you supposed to do? And it's, it's just that, you know, this isn't a question of going, there are less places for us to go. This is, it's it's more dire than that there are sometimes no places there may be one place which is shared by 150 people you know and if you're caught short then absolutely yeah yeah and i mean i have i mean i have openly admitted i have been caught short many times before many times when you know we've gone out and the toilet's just not been suitable enough and I've held and I've held and I've held and we're so far away from home that, you know, we've walked to the city centre, which is probably about, what, 35 minutes away from my house. And, you know, we've literally 
got to the door and I just can't hold it anymore. No. There's just it and it is, it's it's that state of, you know, the, you're scared when you go out if there's not an accessible toilet that if you drink too much, you're either gonna have an accident or you're gonna make yourself have a water infection. And it's those things, you know, kidney stones, all those types of things that you're medically putting yourself in danger of and dehydration. Mm. My hair's fallen out before because I've been so dehydrated. I've had accidents and it's just, it's it's not embarrassing is the word, but it's also your dignity has gone because you're so scared of people knowing. And it's like someone looks at you like, oh my God, they know, they know, they know. I just want to get out of here. They know. And your anxiety takes over and the embarrassment takes over that you just, you just want to leave wherever it is. You just want to go back to your safe haven, which is your home where you know you've got a toilet, but that's no way to live. It's no way to live where you're like, right, okay, I can't go to the toilet out. So I'm staying at home. That's all I'm doing. I'm staying at home. I'm not going to live my life. Why should we be put in that position of not having the right to live our life? how we choose to live our life because at the moment our life is being chose for us Mm. because there isn't an accessible toilet do you think that by the sort of sheer nature of the, the the thing that you're talking about you know it's it's toilets do you think that there are people who are because it's toilets less kind of willing to talk about it or even disabled people who don't want to kind of jump on that campaign because they don't want to be known as the toilet queen they don't want to have that association of of being the person who's always talking about toilets yeah basically that uh, do you come across disabled people who who don't want to talk about the fact that they go to the toilet like everybody else um i haven't I, they privately message me or if i've if i've wrote a post and i've you know posted it on the disability sites and you know they if it's private, they tend to kind of talk about it. Um, they say they don't want to join the campaign because they don't know how to. Um, and I've, you know, given little bits of advice about that or, you know, they haven't got the time. Um, I think it's, I think they do shy away from the conversation. Is that because it's to do with toilets and going um, to the toilet? I think, I think it's to do with toilets. I think it's to do with dignity. I think it's, and I think the more I've spoken about it, though, the more they found it very easy to talk about. I've noticed there are a few people now that were very much like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anyone to know about it. I don't, you know, it's embarrassing to me to talk about toilets. Mm. So now where they see me telling my story over and over again, and I do probably get a little bit more explicit the more I talk about it they find it probably more comfortable and go, okay, you know, you're really brave to talk about everything when it comes to going to the toilet. And I say, but no one's going to understand unless I tell my story. And I always say your story is your story. And it's the most powerful tool that you have to tell anyone. So your story is always going to be that most powerful tool to explain to someone and for someone to understand and acknowledge that there is a problem because otherwise how are they going to know unless you actually openly tell someone I struggle to go to the toilet because x y and z 
they're never going to know. No one's ever going to understand. And I'm happy. I'm happy to, you know, share my story and say that I'm not the only one out there. But we're always put in that bracket. And I think that's where it comes from is the fact is society sees us as either a burden or to be pitied on. Mm. That nobody wants to talk about it because they don't want to have that burden put on them. They don't want to have that pity look. And it's that, isn't it, that I find people struggle with. I think there's a a fear that because for a lot of people, disability is about physical bodily difference. And I think that there's probably a reluctance amongst a lot of people to kind of go to draw more attention to the physical to their physical self and their physical differences when they're already being having that drawn you know that attention drawn to them daily anyway to then have to turn around and say well one of the things that's supposed to be private this is also different this is also hard this is another thing about Mm -hmm. my body that is different and I think that's probably quite difficult for people you know I'm I'm not a hugely comfortable uh, talking about that sort of thing i could ask me about periods i could talk about periods for days mm. but i do get uncomfortable talking about toilets and yeah. that sort of thing it's just the sort of my white middle class upbringing yeah, I, th- I think as well being a disabled person i don't know if you feel like this kerry but particularly when you rely on people to help sort of put you together and look after you I don't know whether you feel like this, but because we have to rely on other people and tell them what we need in most specific, explicit ways sometimes, that your kind of filter of what you're comfortable about talking about gets lost because you think, well, I have to tell you this because if I don't tell you this, I am going to be suffering or, you know, I'm going to be in desperate need of something. And because I can't communicate it very well, if I don't, you know, if I can't communicate it very well, I'm not going to be comfortable and I'm not going to enjoy myself. So therefore, like in our house, nothing's a secret, unfortunately. My mother tells everybody everything, whether I like it or not. It's like, and I look at her sometimes, I think, do you really, could you really not phrase that slightly better? Maybe, or maybe just keep your mouth shut. Because I'm sure the postman does not need to know X, Y, Z. But I do think that because we rely on other people to sort of care for us, we do lose that sense of, let's not talk about that. Yeah, no, yeah, see, whereas in my house, my husband's very different. When I open my mouth, he stands there and cringes. <laughs> and he's like, do you really need to tell people that? Do, do you really? Did you, did you have to really say that? And he goes into such a soapbox tangent or did I really have mm-hmm. to tell that? And I'm like, yes, I did. Because how is it? Yeah, but yeah, but nobody needs to know that. Yes, but they do because they need to understand. Yes, but I understand. That's all that needs to. <laughs> I think. I think we're sort of conditioned, actually, with a lot of you know what Lucy was saying about you. You have that discomfort, and so you need people to know about it. I think actually a lot of a lot of people are conditioned to to be more to you know it's better to be physically uncomfortable than to make other people feel sort of awkward and emotionally uncomfortable and 
and ashamed mm. you know it's that's what we're kind of conditioned for so it is doubly difficult to be not only sitting you know putting out there and going I'm different because I'm disabled and I have difficulty with going to the toilet but it's also difficult to receive that I think because our society is is so wary and put off by talking about you know toiletting and scatological um things that we we all go oh no don't talk about that no 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 and we would rather you know we'd rather think lucy's really uncomfortable while sitting in her own mess (laughs) i'd rather than than me having to talk about what she needs yeah yeah no because you're handing you're literally they are your arms and your legs aren't they so if you need you know even if you're in your you know wheelchair you still they you know you're still having to rely on them to do certain things i mean my, I've, I've got big boobs and you know i will openly admit i lose things down those boobs you know <laughs> me too I've lost, I've lost a cherry tomato down there before oh, God. <laughs> m&m's down mine m&m's you see that is the beauty of having a guide dog is you don't lose food because <laughs> it gets found very quickly and you're like oh I didn't know there was food there now there's just a slobbery pad <laughs> and you know where you're saying you go to a whole new level both yeah. my PAs you know I I will open him it I they give me a tea towel and I say seriously what are you trying to say and they're like mm-hmm. we know you know exactly what we're trying to say right now <laughs> there's been many times when they've had to fish things out from my boots and it is is you're relying on them and it is you feel comfortable if you weren't comfortable you wouldn't do it no but i must admit i don't know about you two but sometimes i do like to say things to different people that know me that have only just met me and when they give you that face you say something quite personal and their face is like horrified yeah it's like that horrified face of oh my god she just said that and i kind (laughs) of relish slightly on the fact is that I've maybe embarrassed them yeah. and said something just because I can you know that what you were saying about kind of embarrassing and shocking people I think that can be quite powerful because it also you know people are going to fucking remember that <laughs> you know <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna walk away their sort of their tail between their legs a little bit hunched like oh I'm really embarrassed about that I, I certainly would <laughs> yeah, say, I met this really crazy blonde bird in a wheelchair <laughs> and guess you will never guess what she said to me you will never ever guess what she said to me and yet you know that story is gonna filter through so many people it's great mm. I think it upsets their equilibrium a bit isn't it they're like oh they're not supposed to do that I'm very I think with it yeah I think people expect your personality to be disabled not like that you can be disabled and also have a personality like disability is not a personality trait no it is a a sort of an existence that is reflected in your kind of your experience of the world and your barriers it's not actually anything to do with your personality yeah i often think that disability as a color is quite a gray word like it's a bit of a don't expect too much it's just there like it's it's a color for color's sake kind of thing whereas like i am anything but gray do you know what i mean i want 
sparkles and all sorts everywhere. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Give me sparkles and bright colours any day, and I'm exactly. Day. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're staring at me anyway. Why not give them something to stare at? That's always my ethos. You know. It's, uh... Uh, but I, I don't. I think people in general get quite uneasy about it. Yeah. You know, they don't. it's that thing again isn't it they just don't know how to strike up a conversation with us it's either they they go down the oh tilt in the head and the pity Mm. or the oh um we're going to avoid talking to you completely Mm. and speak to somebody else so if i'm out with my pas or my husband all three of them kind of turn around and go my husband says my wife can talk and then my pas are just like she can talk you know and they're like oh oh uh, oh okay and i'm like hi down here i can remember being at the bbc in birmingham i was having a very stressful day things were getting on top of me a little bit and my colleague said to me come on let's go and have a cup of coffee just have a just have a minute away from her like a screen go and have a cup of coffee and the regular woman who worked in the canteen doing the teas and coffees wasn't there she was on holiday and my colleague we were walking in front of me and he stood by the side of me and he said, uh, two coffees, please. And she looked at my colleague and said, does she take sugar? And I went and I kind of looked at my colleague and my colleague looked at me and I was having a bad day. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just, I've had enough of this. So I just tilted my head. So, and he went, ask yourself. And I tilted to my head to one side and just went, like this woman. And this woman went, uh, um, uh, and she go, he goes, that's no sugar. And it's not fair on the person that obviously it does go out to because they, it, they're the ones that gets it because you've had so much. You just kind of, you feel sorry for, I do. I do kind of sometimes feel sorry for them after I've done it and say, look, I'm really sorry. Or I'll just be like, yeah, I've said it too late. It's done. I was having a really bad day. But there are, like you say, when you go to wed, you know, when you go to weddings and you are put on a table with people you've never met before and they never, they don't know about you. Those sorts of situations, you think, all right, I'm going to have to go like on the A game with the Lucy Wood presentation of this evening of, yes, I'm in a chair, but it's all right. Pass me the yeah. potato. Like, you like have to gear yourself up and go, okay, no, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. You can ask the stupid questions. Go on. Cause everybody wants to. But aren't you sometimes just a bit sick of like, t- I'm sick of telling the same stories. Like I love my guide dog. She is wonderful. There are sometimes days where I'm just like, somebody is going to ask me how old she is or how long I've had her. And I'm going to have to tell you the whole story. And I just can't be asked. And I just kind of want to go, no, she's she's actually, she's not a guide dog. She's a vicious attack dog. (laughs) She's wearing a harness so that I can hold her back because she's trained to go straight for the ball. <laughs> I wonder what you're gonna say then. Like um yeah, I you do that, we need video footage. <laughs> yeah, I I sometimes think I'm not in the mood for this today, but then you can't necessarily just switch it on and off. I feel like I want to start carrying around like a card that I can just hand to people and be like, this is my story. I don't really want to talk about it today, but, you know, another time, these are, this is where you can find me. These are my frequently asked questions. Yeah. I, maybe, I, suppose, I, yeah, I suppose it's an occupational hazard, though, when it comes to campaigning, 
yeah you have to tell my story yeah. every single time i you know i campaign so in every email in every phone call in every you know radio tv newspaper it's my story is the only thing that i have to say this is why we need so i suppose in a way as much as it's you know it's a constant repetitive it's like being a, a broken record over and over again it's an occupational hazard because if i didn't tell my story people were like so why do you need a change in places yeah i really don't know i don't want to tell my story you're just gonna have to work it out for yourself i mean that's the thing if you turned up for channel five news and when they went so tell us about why you want you know why you want this changes in the toilet you know system you put and you went no <laughs> and thank you thank you very much uh, <laughs> with that in mind kerry why don't you tell us something that has nothing to do with changing places what if you could talk about anything else what what would you want to talk about what would you want people to know something that nobody knows about me mm -hmm. well before i was on tv for um campaign <laughs> can't believe i'm gonna say this but you know <laughs> um i'm before... excited <laughs> before my world of campaigning and tv and radio and things like that i was on the tv in my 20s were you yes i was is it going to be crime watch or something <laughs> <laughs> i mean it might be a bit better than what i was on tv for it's it was called tenerife uncovered oh god, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what did, tell me everything <laughs> I, I may not have had my bum out i may not have had my boobs out i may have gone skinny dipping and I may not have gone to a sex shop. That's brilliant. Is it, I, we're going on a night out, mate, I tell you. <laughs> we are finding that footage. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my life. So what happened? Were you, were you interviewed or was it like a hidden camera job? What was it? Well, we were, in, yeah, well, we were interviewed because um, my two siblings were underage. Uh oh. oh god so there was a whole thing in the newspapers where um i was followed to and from work uh, you're in the newspapers yeah so um i got a phone call from the head of sky to ask um if i'd had a encounter with one of the uh, the production team which was false i hadn't i was like well if i was either very very drunk uh, but no it didn't happen but yeah there was a whole whirlwind because they were 15 and 16 and they had obviously lied about their age i on the other hand was in my 20s i didn't lie about my age yes right so yeah it, the whole series on that one that one episode was my parents were involved as well so they interviewed my parents to make it you know legal oh because they were this is amazing. I mean, I you're a dark horse, Kerry Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, that's why I kind of I don't. I've never lived with embarrassment, and I've never lived in regret. No. I believe that if I'm going to regret it, I should never do it. So everything that I've done from the days of when I was, you know, running around 
drinking and you know running a pub and staying in lock-ins and you know some of the stories i could tell you from them days you know they're good but that's a conversation that nobody else needs to hear do you think that that attitude comes from the knowledge that you had muscular dystrophy and you saw your mum's experience of muscular dystrophy and you thought i might only have a limited amount of time to run around like a mad person Probably, yes. But I think I was so in denial of that. I knew from the age of 18 that there was something wrong. But I put it to the back of my head and I just carried on with life. Right. So I went out, I did the clubbing. I, you know, I worked stupid hours, um, which you do when you, you're in the pub trade. And it wasn't until it got drastically bad where I was falling more at work and work were noticing that I was struggling that little bit more where they sent me to um, the company doctor and they said, um, you know, we need to kind of look at what's going to happen and whether we can insure you because you are falling a lot more. So it was mm. a case of, you know, giving up work or being put behind a desk and the whole of my life I'd worked with the general public, you know, behind the bar was me. That was my, you know, that was my identity at the time. So I did find it very hard transitioning from not having that identity anymore mm. and then having finding a new identity. But I think, yes, where I watched my mum, you know, she was my hockey teacher when I was at primary school. And, you know, she, we would go skiing and I would watch her do all of that. And no, she never, never, ever complained ever. And, you know, I've spoken to her recently and said, did you ever feel like you needed to sit me and my brother down and say, you know, muscular, we knew she had muscular dystrophy, but we didn't know how it affected her. Right. And I didn't know whether she'd sheltered us from that for a reason mm. or whether she just didn't feel the need to explain to us. And she said that, it was, she didn't feel the need to explain to us because she wanted us, it just didn't cross her mind to sit us down. Yeah. And it maybe because there was no guarantee when, you know, my mum was diagnosed that it would ever be passed on because she was told for many years that her it wouldn't be passed on. Whereas mm. the more that muscular dystrophy um, came out and the more they acknowledged they got about muscular dystrophy, that it does you know, it can go down through generations and it did, you know, both myself and my brother have muscular dystrophy. My brother's younger than me and it's hit him worse where, you know, he's got a trackie, he's peg fed, he's completely in bed, you know, he doesn't mm. move from his bed. Whereas I've got a very different life. I've left home, you know, I've got my own home, I'm married. I've had a very different life to what my brother has had. And I think my mum takes, my mum takes a lot from that. And my brother, my brother's very sarcastic. And there was one time I sent him a message saying, hey, how are you? What are you up to? And he said, oh, I read your blog. It was really good. You're definitely a better disabled person than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you said that it's, you found it very difficult to sort of come to terms with the fact that you know your condition would 
deteriorating things what what really was the turning point of you sort of accepting okay this is what this is where we're at and this is what will happen or you know are you still coming to terms with it um no i think i've come to terms with it now it took a long time Mm. to find my identity because i'd worked for so long i mean i'd been working since the age of 12 and i'd done the odd jobs here and there and when i hit 24 uh, well, 23, 24, I didn't have a job anymore. I couldn't work. You know, there was, I, I, there was nobody around to guide me to say, well, you can actually work, but you need to do something different. So for many years, I kind of cocooned myself. You know, I lived in a house that wasn't, you know, adaptable for me. And, you know, it wasn't accessible enough for me to be able to live an independent life. Plus, obviously coming to terms with my disability as well it was it was hard mentally and mentally and physically hard for me to for me to kind of grasp what was going on losing the ability to walk you know losing the ability to even do washing up and scratch your own nose you know when you lose that ability as much as scratching your own nose to some people is well that's nothing you know why are you worried about that it's having that independence you're having to then rely and say excuse me can you scratch my nose please no not there no left right (laughs) and it is it's handing all of that over and it's you're so we grow up being more and more independent and that's how you know from the moment we're born you know we're learning to crawl we're learning to walk we're learning to do all of these things independently and that's how we grow up being more and more independent and then all of a sudden with a click of your fingers that independence is gone mm. and it's nothing that you've done it's just because there is you've you've got a disease that's eating away you know making your muscles weaker and weaker and weaker mm. that you have to learn to change your mindset and for a very long time i mean i've been through countless therapy you know therapy where they've said you know, stop watering other people's, you know, flowers. Think about yourself and think about how you, you know, are, sorry. Have you got a cat in the background? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like looking at me right now going, I'm going to walk across you. <laughs> no, come here. Come here. <laughs> um, no, you have to, it took a while. I mean, I was on antidepressants for probably about, a year and two years previous to that I was in very denial um and my husband was very worried because when he met me I was still walking I was still doing things I was cooking I was cleaning I you know we were in a a, I hate to say a normal relationship but we were in that kind of relationship where we were getting to know each other then all of a sudden our relationship changed I needed him more and I never asked him to step in and say when i was tired you know can you stand me so i can go to bed you know can you help me lift my arm can you do this he stepped in and did that and i think having him around and kind of gearing me he has a tendency to kind of say here she comes hello he has a, he always has the tendency to say man up 
whenever something happens or when I lose the ability or I get frustrated, he looks at me and he just says, man up, you've got this. Yeah. And I think it was just, it was just one day I woke up and I was like, what am I doing? I've got this. I can do this. I can still be independent. I can still do what I need to do. I'm just going to have to take the long route about things. And I think it was, it was that it was just a switch in my head all of a sudden just went and having, I think my brother and my mum in a worse situation than what I am helped because I was crying over spilt milk when they've got far more to be, you know, upset about. And my brother very rarely, you know, tells anybody how he feels. My mum gets on with it. And there was me sitting there going, I'm on antidepressants. I don't know what to do with my life. You know, I'm losing the ability to do this, to do that. And I think, yeah, where my husband was very much, think about, you know, your mum, think about your brother. Your life isn't that bad. Mm. And as much as it was probably hard to hear it from an able-bodied person, yeah, it was still very true because he knew me. He knew that I was better than what I was being. And it was just getting me to that point of saying, okay, do you know what? You are 100% right. Let's get it done. And it's probably been what? I've probably grown. My nan actually turned around to me and said, you've grown it into a lovely young lady <laughs> in the last couple of years. You seem to have found your voice. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that, that is the thing, isn't it? I think, I think a lot like your husband's sort of saying, it's all right, we've got, you know, you can do this, you can do this. Having my parents around me who are so positive, we never ever focused on what I couldn't do as a child. My sister and me were treated it. My sister's able-bodied, non-disabled. And so we were treated exactly the same. There was no special treatment because Lucy can't walk. You know, if if I didn't go to a wacky warehouse, Sophie didn't go to wacky warehouse. It's that kind of level of nobody gets treated any differently. And But I think as well, again, like with what Kerry said about my situation, my cerebral palsy isn't as bad as it what it, it could be i can still communicate i can still leave a, a certain level of independence it's not all that bad do you know what i mean so you there is a there is a case of suck it up suck it up and i'm not saying it's easy all of the time and i'm not saying i don't get cross because i do but at the same time i'm grateful for where i am do you know mm. i've i've lost so many school friends who are who, who were younger than I am now and every birthday comes around and I think I'm bloody glad I'm still here do you know what I mean I'm bloody glad so you know I'm still here so I'll do their living for them and I think that gives you a unique perspective on life because and it also that also lowers the oh I'm not going to do that because it's oh I'm not gonna no I'm not going to do that because that's scary or you know, I I still get scared, but there is a level of well, you're only here, you're only here once kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, yeah, I I kind of if I can do it, I'll do it. If I can't, I can't. Yeah. And there are certain things I miss, and I think at that, I think when I went through my dark patch, it was because I was grieving the life that I missed. Yes. And it was that it was trying to work out the new life that I needed to adapt to 
And instead of doing that, I was still grieving. I was missing, you know, walking. I was missing being able to, you know, hold my arms up and hug someone. I was missing cooking. You know, it's the, it's the silly little things that, you know, I kind of sit here sometimes and go, oh, I kind of miss doing that. Mm. And then it's fine. I'm fine now. Whereas before it was, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. I think it's a journey that a lot of people with disabilities, whether it's, you know, an acquired disability, a disability that sort of strikes you midway through your life or a deteriorating disability uh, or something you've had, you know, from the day you were born. I think a lot of people go through that journey of having to of, of grieving what was or what could have been mm. and yeah. then also kind of getting to that place of going you know where you talked about it could be worse there are people who who have more problems more barriers more difficulties than I do and finding a kind of a middle ground of going well yes I have these difficulties which comes from the kind of the accepting what has lost or what could have been but also there is an element of I think not being afraid because you do recognize what you can do and it's it's that and some people find that from you know comparing what they are able to do against the difficulties and experiences of others and you know for me personally it was just about going instead of going I still I'm still grieving that I can't do this I used to be able to do this because my sight de is deteriorating um, it's something I will continue to lose probably over my lifetime it is difficult to kind of to go I used to be able to do this or I can do this now what if I'm not going to be able to do it later mm. it's becomes very hard to or it's almost about living in the moment and being able to go well I can do this now and I this is the life I have now and trying to make the most of it and you know I think all the things that you're both saying are different things that you know anybody who is listening to this and is in that position of going I'm in a really dark place I'm can't do this anymore or I want to be able to do this and I can't um or, you know, just the fear of having a disease that deteriorates, a condition that changes and not knowing what tomorrow will bring. You know, you guys are both giving some really sort of nice insights into going, well, look around you and reflect on what else is going on in the world. And, you know, whether you're saying, well, I could have it worse so I'm just going to suck it up or you know whether you're saying I'm going to live for the people that aren't here anymore mm. Mm. I think it's you know it's really powerful messages and it's okay to go through those moments as well and that's what people need to remember that it's okay to reach out and ask someone that is either been in the same situation as they are at, you know at that time or that has been through it and come through the other side. It's okay to kind of reach out. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that some people find it so hard that they feel like they're the only person. And you do. When you're going through that, you feel like you're the only one in the world that's going through that one thing. But in hindsight, we've all been through it. 
you know, we've all been through that dark patch of coming to terms with something or other when it comes to being disabled or, you know, like the transition from me from walking to wheels, you know, that was hard, but it was also very, I think I wouldn't be the person that I am now if it wasn't for every single process that I'd been through and watching other people out there, um, you know, up until what, three, four years ago, I didn't really know any other disabled person out there. Now my, you know, the disabled community is such a tight knit community. We don't all know each other. You know, we're not in a phone book that we all get oh she's disabled so look through the post. Yeah, you're not got lights on your head that only we can see yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's as soon as one of us needs help we all rally around yeah and we all give that level of support and i think that's what's great about our community is the fact is that we are all there for each other and we are all willing to share our story if somebody says please help me i'm going through this situation I've just been, you know, diagnosed with X, Y, and Z. You know, how did you go through things? I also think it's really important just to kind of flag for anybody who is listening that we also know that for some people it's not it's not something that you ever really come to terms with. You know, for me, because I don't know what's going to happen in the future with my site, it is kind of a, a changing beast. So there will be there is is an ongoing element of grieving and an ongoing element of you know every day or every week or whatever it is you have to kind of refocus and readjust and go nope I can still do this and that that is okay that never being you know living the rest of your life as a person with a disability and never being happy about it and never being feeling as though you've accepted it is also okay but you just need to make sure that you're kind of caring for yourself and caring for the other people within your community at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Kerry, you blog as part of the um, MD bloggers crew, don't you? So that's other people um, who've got muscular dystrophy, is that right? Yes, there's five of us and we've all got different types of muscular dystrophy. And, you know, I think it's great that we've all become friends through the same you know we we're all bloggers there was we know it was originally started by four of us um all four females and then we brought the lovely ross into it and he just kind of he gives a level a different level of what we can give you know he's the cheeky the cheeky chappy that i'm definitely conscious that we're a slightly woman heavy podcast so far so i do think it is important to get that male voice in the disabled community Ross if you're listening to this give us a call Uh, (laughs) he would be absolutely amazing to get on for sure because he just has me in stitches all the time and I can confirm I know Ross and (laughs) he is the he honestly when we found him as part of our volunteer network I was like this man is gold uh, <laughs> can I come and move in with you, please, Ross? No, um, I, I think he would definitely be a good voice to speak to. Yeah. But so, so you obviously find great comfort in in talking to people who are who are bloggers and have got the same sort of condition. And I, I would imagine it's a very 
tight support network is it when you're really um, struggling or finding low yeah, periods yeah. yeah it is i mean it's it's i mean i i mean i started blogging solely because i needed to voice you know how i was feeling inside yeah. it was kind of like a, a free therapy session for me and then it grew from there and you know i met you know different bloggers that were doing different things for you know in the disability world um in you know the non-disability world so it grew from that and i was receiving messages when i was writing down how i was feeling and how i was coping with things and you know how i transitioned from walking to wheels and when people were emailing me or putting comments on there saying oh my god you know this has helped me so much my blog very much changed it then wasn't for me it was then to if i can help one person out there that's going through the same situation as me then i would be happy you know that's that would mean the world to me and when i receive messages to say you know thank you very much for writing what you've written and you know there's all different contexts on there too you know the the feeling of abandonment from my father to you know you know like i've said changing places and struggling with toilets to tips on how to deal with anxiety and i think that sharing any story that you have when it comes to anything is a great thing and it will help at least one person it's just more evidence that you know disability isn't your personality it's not all of who you are it's you know you're you've got a blog that's about as you say a lot of different complex issues and one of them is disability and one of them is about how your disability sort of inter intersects and interacts with the rest of the world but you also have a wealth of other feelings and experiences yeah. and i think that's that's one of the things that's it's probably the coolest thing about stuff like blogs and vlogs and podcasts is that it's gives people the opportunity to see a more rounded version of of difference and outlooks whereas you know we have been really stuck with those very one-sided representations of disability and difference for such a long time mm -hmm. i haven't got muscular dystrophy kerry but can i join your crew anyway please because i think everybody needs a kerry thompson in their life oh thanks <laughs> oh bless you oh. i didn't dare to say that <laughs> and do you know what this obviously being married i took my husband's name and when obviously all of this started off if you ask my husband when there's ever anything in the newspapers or on the tv and he's standing in front of me right now kind of dancing away <laughs> <laughs> because he will constantly tell me say look 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 thompson look, there's, <laughs> not there's my wife <laughs> there's my name there's my wife look how amazing she is she's doing a fantastic job it's there's the name thompson and that's all because of him <laughs> and it's, it's that it's like you carry on putting my name out there baby i wasn't gonna call call him out on his uh slightly sexist man up term <laughs> because you know I mean, he's starting struggles now. If you ask him, I'll say, how do you get through a day? And he will turn around and say, I've got you. Oh. And the sweetest thing, I just think, seriously. 
<laughs> I think if you asked my husband how does he get through a day, he'd probably say, I've got the dog. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kerry. Thank you. This has been a really great chat. I think we've kind of covered a lot of really interesting things. Do you want to take the opportunity to sort of plug where we can find the MD bloggers crew and where we can find you and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. You can find the MD bloggers crew on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook. Um, my blog is called My Life Kerry's Way. Um, you will find me on Instagram as well on My Life Kerry's Way. Come give me a follow. Um, come say hi. Share your stories with me. I'm, you know, happy to meet everyone and anyone. And where can we find the Changing Places Toilet campaign? You can find that online. That's on Twitter. You know, give a big, give them a big shout out because the campaigners do such a, a tiresome job that you know they've been doing it far. Some have been doing it far longer than I have, and um, yeah, sometimes they could do with a good old shout out. And you know, it would be lovely for them to see a good old shout out as well. I think. We will definitely we will definitely do that. We'll put all the podcast description. We'll put all the details of changing places toilets for this episode, so you can find it all there. Brilliant! All right. Well, thank you ever so much, thank Kerry. Thank you so much for your time, Kerry. It's lovely to speak. Thank to you. you for having me. It's been absolutely amazing. Thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall, our music composer, Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer, Sarah Coley. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.